God is good. God is good. That's true all the time. All the time he is good. Got my click. Well, um, this morning, we're continuing in our series um, that we've titled In the Line of the King. And if you haven't picked up on it, um, and maybe Stephen mentioned it the first Sunday, I was upstairs and I, and I missed the first Sunday. Um, but the idea is, is kind of twofold. That the line of the king um, is an ancestral trajectory to Jesus. So these people are in the lineage of Jesus. But it's also a conversation that we are to be in line with the king. The things the king does, the, the way the king acts, the way the king interacts with people, we are to be in line with him. Not just as ancestors, but the way he does things. We should be the same, looking the same as him. So today we'll continue um, in that series and in that conversation. Um, last week, the sermon was on the first king of Israel, king by the name of Saul. Um, and if you remember, if you were here last week, this is a different Saul than we get in the New Testament, who later becomes Paul and writes much of the New Testament. This is an entirely different man, um, but his name is Saul nonetheless. Um, so some of our texts for today um, are right here. We're pretty much going to be in 1 Samuel, um, but then we'll jump over to, to 2 Samuel towards the end, um, which is towards the beginning of your, um, your Old Testament, towards the beginning of your Bible. Actually, we were in 1 Samuel last week as well, because we're just continuing the story from where we left off. What's going on in, in the life of this man named Saul, and how does a man named David become mixed in and involved with all this? How does his involvement and his impact come in to keep into play here? Um, but I have a question for you before we get there. How many of you, if any of you, are intimidated by leadership? Anybody? Show of hands. Anybody kind of intimidated to, to be called out and to be a leader of something in front of other people? A couple people? A couple brave souls? I'm asking you to be a leader. This is a trick question because this is asking you to lead. So gotcha. Um, but that's me. Um, this is, there you go. Hey. Um, that's me. Um, leadership for me um, was always something that has intimidated me. Um, in fact, it was funny because um, I'd already prepared this lesson or the sermon, and um, I was looking at my, my phone today, and if you're on Facebook, um, you know that there's memories that show up every once in a while, so the stuff you posted last year, two years ago, three years ago, will show up on your feed and say, hey, you remember when you did this? Remember when you said that? Um, sometimes those things are awesome reminders, and other times they're like, oh man, what was I thinking? Um, but this one was, was interesting, because this is what I posted on this day um, two years ago. So two years ago, um, I had just started a new job, um, probably a month prior, um, and I had gone from, from working my way up in a company to now being a manager um, over, over other people. I was now the leader, right? Um, so now I'm trying to come to terms with what does that look like? Um, what does that mean for my life? What does that mean for my job? How do I lead well? Um, and so I reflected on it, and this is what I said. Um, and I don't, I don't know that all of this is good or all of this is bad, but this is what I said. Um, leadership has always intimidated me. I'm so good at support roles, helping realize others' visions and goals. And now it closed out on me. There you go. So good realizing other people's goals. And then I realized 
that all leadership positions are just support roles. There is always someone higher, whether it is an individual, an organization, or a structured government. If we focus on making others look good and realize everything requires a team effort, things will change not only in your work atmosphere, but your personal emotions and feelings about others will change as well. That was my post from two years ago about leadership. You also know by now that I love superheroes. I'm a big Batman fan. But I never resonated with Batman myself. I never saw myself as Batman. I was always Robin. The sidekick. The corny one. The one, the one that wore the uncomfortable tights. Um, and maybe I would have choos- chosen a different wardrobe, but I always saw myself as Robin. And, and, and a psychologist might start thinking and psychoanalyzing that about my inferiority complex or, or all these issues going on in my own head that I can't take ownership, responsibility, or whatever. Um, but that's where I was comfortable at. And perhaps some of you feel that way too, where you're cool being on the side and, and you want to be involved. It's not that you don't want to be involved, but, but they're already leading so well, so I'm just going to support them. I'm going to continue to push them forward. I'm going to be by their side. I'm going to give them resources, help, whatever, encouragement I need to. And I'm going to, I'm going to continue to push them forward. And that was me for a long time. Um, but I, I, I continue to think and, and I continue to ponder on leadership. I'm no John Ma- Maxwell um, with millions and millions of copies of leadership books. Um, but I continue to reflect on leadership and what leadership is. Um, and there's a key aspect about leadership Um, that I think can't be taken away. Um, And that's this. What you are, you reproduce. What you are, you reproduce. Now we can think about this in in very simple terms, in in biological terms, as you think about plants and seeds and and what they are. An apple seed can't grow an orange tree. It doesn't work that way. It has to produce what out of what it is. But what you are, the way you interact with others, the way you lead others, the way you care about others, the way you have conversation about others, is reproduced in other people. They see it lived out, and they mimic it. Here's another example. In the, uh, in the army... We live on a couple things. We live on coffee. We live on uh, cigarettes. And we live on monsters, amps, Red Bulls, all kinds of variety of energy drinks. Um, those, those are the vices of the United States Army. Um, and it was interesting to me as I witnessed a, a new unit that I was a part of. And I began to kind of look around. And I was surveying, I was watching people, I was doing a little people watching. And I began to see all these different sections. So, so we've got um, the guys that are in charge of communications over here. And we've got the guys that are in charge of um, the, the trucks. We've got the guys who are in charge of the medical stuff over here. We've got the cooks over here. So we've got all these different sections, right? And I began to watch the leader of each of those groups. And whatever type of energy drink that leader drank... Everybody else in his group drank that same kind. And that's, that's the honest truth. Like, there was no deviation from that. If this guy was drinking AMP, everybody else was drinking AMP in his group. 
even though right over here, everybody's drinking Monsters. And everybody's drinking Red Bulls. It was literally that apparent. As you walked into the different sections, you saw that everybody was drinking the same drink, but it was different depending on who was leading that group. What you are, you reproduce. People naturally are inclined to follow others. Especially those we respect and look up to. We're inclined to follow others. So you, without even knowing it, have the potential and are reproducing other attributes and other aspects in people's lives. You are a leader. You are a leader. Might be the first time you've ever, ever heard that about yourself. But it's true. And in fact, our relationship with Jesus just doubles down on that. As he calls us to lead and love and care for others around us. So if you turn with me, maybe you're already there. The book of 1 Samuel. As I said, we've, we've been having this conversation about King Saul and David. And 1 Samuel 16 um, kind of sets up the scene where Samuel's out. God's done with him. Um, Samuel's still king, and he can't not be king until he's dead. Um, but God's kind of through with Sam, or I'm not sorry, I just keep saying Samuel with Saul. Um, Saul's the king, and God's through with him. And so Samuel's kind of upset because he's got a good relationship with Saul, and, and he's, he's trying to come to terms with what's going on here. So 1 Samuel chapter uh, 16, verses 1 through 3 say this. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So here's the hard truth here. So if you don't want to hear the hard truth, now's your chance to plug your ears. God is not going to stop his mission if you're not leading. God has a mission. He wants you to lead. He's asked you to lead. You are obligated, if you're a believer, to lead in his mission. But he's not going to stop it if you're not going to step up to the plate. He's going to find somebody else. And you are then going to forfeit your opportunity to be a part of the work that God is doing. You are forfeiting your opportunity to be a part of the team that is winning. Imagine that. Who watched the Ohio State game yesterday? How would you feel if, if, if you were offered a chance to be on that team minutes before the end of the game? Maybe not even this game. Let's, let's go bigger than this. Let's go, you're, you get the opportunity to be in the Rose Bowl. And you're sure going to win. Your team's up by 100 to nothing. There's three seconds left in the game. And they want you to come in on the field and take the last hike of the ball. You have an opportunity. 
to be on the winning team or to stay on the sidelines. I don't think any of us would choose to stay on the sidelines in that scenario. The same is true with our relationship with God. That God has a mission, and He wants you to be part of it. He asked you to be part of it. He longs for you to be a part of it. He wants to use you to do so many incredible things. But if you don't do it, He will find somebody else to do it. And that's what's happening here with Saul. And Samuel's struggling with it. Because Samuel, he's got a relationship with Saul. Their families know each other. They go way back. And he's not ready to, to write Saul off as king. But Samuel is faced with a crossroads here. His mission, he's faced with a crossroads. Because Samuel has the opportunity to continue to fulfill God's mission or to potentially change the trajectory of God's entire mission. Samuel is the linchpin on whether Saul's going to miss out on all God has to do, on whether Samuel's going to miss out on all God has to do, on whether David's going to miss out on all God has to do. And if David weren't king, the whole lineage that we've all known in our whole lives— and, and Christianity's talked about ever since Christianity came into existence, is the line of David onto to Jesus, the son of Bethlehem. The king will sing about, born in a manger, in a couple months. And that whole trajectory is in limbo right here. Because Samuel has to decide what he's going to do. Is he going to follow what God has asked him to do and go find Jesse and one of his sons and anoint a new king even though there's already a king reigning or is he going to step out and move to the sidelines Jesus's lineage attached to King David was in jeopardy here and Samuel had no idea Samuel didn't know the whole picture Samuel didn't know everything that God was going to do but if David wasn't anointed king well, he wouldn't have been King David, would he? So maybe you're asking this question. Why is Samuel so upset about it? What difference does it make to him? What difference does it make to him, whether Saul's king or David's king? For one, change is difficult, is it not? Change is hard. Most of us don't like change. I mean, we deal with it every four or eight years in the political world here in America where we have somebody different. Even if it's the same political party, even if it's the party you like, even if it's the party that you voted for, there's change. Things are different now. Interactions are different. Relationships are different. I think of school years um, and how every year— you could have the same, you could be, for a teacher, you could be teaching the same grade level. You could have the same room that you're meeting in every year. But every year, your class is different. Completely, totally different. It's always changing. And there are moments where you miss the old. And if you're so hung up on missing the old, you can miss out on what's right there. Samuel might have missed out on what was right there. 
God still wanted to use Samuel. Even though Samuel didn't see the whole picture, sometimes it's most difficult to get rid of something that is no longer serving God's purpose. Not just that, that it's changed, but Saul wasn't serving God's purpose anymore. Saul was king of Israel, but he wasn't following after God. He wasn't serving God. He wasn't doing the things he was supposed to do. He wasn't fulfilling God's decrees, his ordinances, God's promises to his people. And sometimes it's the hardest to get rid of that. And that's where Samuel was struggling. But still, the principle is true. What you are, you reproduce. And if you're dead, you reproduce dead things. If you're dead, you reproduce dead things that serve no purpose, that help no one, that benefit nothing. Moving on further down in, uh, in 1 Samuel. Picking up at verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. The Lord said to Samuel, oh, I'm sorry, when, uh, verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel said, Eliab, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending to the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he went, sent and had him brought in. But he was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Samuel then went to Ramah. Notice the beginning of this where it picked up. Notice verse 4, where it says, Samuel did what the Lord said. So he had followed the decree. Samuel said, I'm not going to miss out on your promises, God. I want to produce something good. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. And when he got to Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And if you were here last week, and if you weren't, and you're curious about why I keep referring to last week, um, and, and you feel like you're out of context, you can actually listen to it online. Um, if you go to our website, you can hear that sermon online, and that might give you some context for this. But if you were here last week, and you remember the conversation we had about Saul, Saul lived in paranoia. 
Saul feared everything. He always thought somebody was out to get him. He always thought that, that there was going to be some kind of coup on his authority. That he wasn't qualified. Last week we talked about where when Saul was called to be king, they couldn't find him because he was hiding in the bags. He was hiding. He was scared. He didn't know what to do. And so Saul had reproduced in the people of his kingdom fear. The elders of his town, the leaders of one of his towns in Bethlehem, were fearful. It had been produced in them. They saw the king that acted that way, so naturally I'm going to act that way. It's good enough for the king, it's good enough for me. The elders were fearful when Samuel came. But Samuel had his mission. He wanted to produce something good. Verse, uh, verse 5, Samuel replied, Yes, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. And then it says he consecrated Jesse as well. And, and I want to take a minute here to, to talk about that consecration. Um, because that's a weird word. We don't use it a lot. Um, and it's in a context that is kind of confusing. So um, allow me to, to take a second here to kind of unpack that. So this consecration was a special kind of cleansing that was done. So you've got to imagine, too, that probably, not necessarily, were all these guys wearing their cleanest, nicest clothes today when Samuel came unexpectedly into town. Um, they were probably grungy. They'd been working. Um, so they needed to get clean anyway. But there's an extra level of this cleansing. This consecration isn't just, hey, wash your hands before you come to dinner. Um, there's something else going on there. And it actually goes back for the children of Israel all the way to when Moses brought down the Ten Commandments and the children of Israel received the commandments from the Lord. When Moses was up there, and you can read about this in Exodus uh, 19. When Moses was up there on the mountain, um, before he got the Ten Commandments, God said, hey, go down to the people, tell them to consecrate themselves. They need to be cleansed for this. This is something special. This is something unique. This is something once in a lifetime. Make sure they're cleansed, and then come back here and take to them the Ten Commandments. Take to them my decrees. Take to them my laws. Take to them the, the things I want them to know. And so Moses did that had the people consecrated, and so came the Ten Commandments. And so this consecration was something like that. There was something special here. God was speaking directly. And you need to make sure you're cleansed for this. You need to make sure you're clean for this. As a result of Samuel's obedience, Samuel began to produce something that he had no idea what it was going to do. But it was good. Because of Samuel's obedience, he anointed David as the new king. And so began the tumultuous relationship between Saul and David. And we're going to skip over for the point of this sermon. Um, but if you're curious about um, the story of Sa Saul and David more, um, you can read about that in the following chapters. Um, chapters 17 through 22. Um, all kinds of stories about Saul and David, and all the places and all the avenues where Saul is paranoid, and Saul is freaking out, and Saul is thinking that, that David's come to get him, that uh, David has turned his own son against him, that David is causing a revolt in his armies and in his troops, and Saul's just freaking out everywhere he can go. 
And meanwhile, David just remains faithful. Faithful to the job he's been asked to do. Faithful to God, who's anointed him. Without an attempt to stage a coup and overthrow the king. The next chapter, right after this, this chapter, chapter 17, is the story of David and Goliath. And if you're familiar with that story, you know that we find once again King Saul and all of his men that he is taught and reproduced in trembling and fearing the Philistines who are standing in front of them. Unwilling to budge, unwilling to move, unwilling to, to do anything. They're so terrified of Goliath and the Philistine army that they're scared, shaking in their boots back here. And of course, we know the story that, that David, the little shepherd boy, comes up with a sling and a stone and, and takes out the giant Goliath. And it's the great underdog story. It's what all underdog stories are, are made out of, is the story of David and Goliath. But Saul had been reproducing fear. And David was beginning to produce courage and boldness, faithfulness to the calling and the mission that had been placed before him. Physical stature doesn't command any leadership. All of, of Jesse's sons before David seemed to be more fit to be king than David did. And if we go back to the story of David and Goliath too, David couldn't even wear the armor that the, the army offered him to wear to go fight Goliath. He was too small. He couldn't carry it. He couldn't hold it. But when Jesse had presented his seven sons, they were all turned down. David was finally mentioned. The forgotten kid. The one who's, he's just out there taking care of sheep. There's no leadership potential in him. He's not called to produce anything. He's just good for taking care of sheep. What's he going to do? But when pressed and pressed, Jesse finally said, no, there's David. And as soon as David arrived, God instructed Samuel to anoint David as king. All this stuff happens. Where David's in the court. Saul has appointed him to, to leadership positions in the court. And David's growing and learning what it means to be in the kingdom and, and how the kingdom functions. He's learning the political system. He's learning the ropes, if you will. But Saul is fearful the whole time. If you flip over with me to uh, chapter 22, still in 1 Samuel. And this will be up on the screen. Um, chapter 22, verses 6 through 9. Say this, Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul was seated, spear in hand, under the tamarisk tree in the hill of Gibeah with all of his officials standing at his side. See, Saul had run David out. He was so scared of what David was going to do that he had, he had made him go into hiding um, for fear of his life. David had befriended his son Jonathan, and Saul felt that even his own son had been turned against him. And so he said to them, after, after David had been found, said to his soldiers, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse... Give all of your fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands of commanders of hundreds? Is that why you've all conspired against me? You've all plotted against me. And Jesse, Jesse's son has offered you all this stuff. No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. 
None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me, as he does today. But Doeg, the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Amalek, son of Ahitib, at Nob. And so the story continues. And there's another aspect here. Of what you are, you reproduce. Saul was so fearful. Have you all conspired against me? You've all plotted to kill me? My son, my officials, all of you are on the, in on this? And, and a guy voices Doeg, steps up and says, You know, I saw something the other day. I don't know if it's a big deal or not, but he was talking to the priest over there, and I think he might be plotting against you too. Reshifting, refocusing. Let's get the attention off of me. He's learned this from somebody. He's learned to abnegate his leadership to somebody else, his responsibility to somebody else. When the pressure gets hot, I need to shift blame. Find somebody else. Find somebody else to blame for it. I can't take ownership of that. And Doeg learned it from somebody. And I got to believe he learned it from Saul. Spent all this time with Saul. Learned from Saul, trusted Saul. Saul's king. Saul's word is, is good. Saul's the chosen one from God. We've got to listen to him. And so even his servants picked up especially on his bad habits, shifted blame, tried to find somebody else, acted like it wasn't their responsibility. What you are, you reproduce. And if you don't produce, God will find someone else to produce. And you're probably thinking, well, this, this sermon sure seems to be a lot more about Saul than it is about David. Well, kind of. Here's something else I've learned about leadership. That oftentimes, stories aren't written about the people who did the right thing or the good thing or the hard thing. They're written about the person who did the bad thing, the wrong thing, the easy thing. And we know the story of David, right? I mean, like I said, we're going to be celebrating the lineage of David here, here in some time. And there's, there's more to read. And if you're curious about the story of David, keep reading in 1 Samuel. When you go home today, just go back to 1 Samuel and read some more about David. What King David was like. And he wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. He made big mistakes. Huge mistakes. But he learned from them. And his goal was to produce something good in other people. So he was honest where he messed up. He took ownership of the places where he fell short. He asked for forgiveness from God and from others for the places that he did wrong. And like I said, he did some, he did some way wrong things. But it's not the one who does the good thing oftentimes. It's the one that does the bad thing that the story gets written about. So in light of that, we, we learn from Saul how not to be king. And so David is the antithesis of that. David is the good king, where Saul is the bad king. And I've learned as much in my life from people that I don't want to be like 
as I've learned from people that I do want to be like. Does that make sense? Those people that have been in front of me, in charge of me, my boss, my manager, my leader, whoever, those people who have held position of authority over me, the ones who I think have done it poorly, done a bad job, I've learned just as much from them as far as that's how I don't want to be. I, I don't want to be that kind of manager. I don't want to be that kind of boss. I don't want to be that kind of teacher. I don't want to be that kind of parent, maybe. And I've learned as much from that as I've learned from, oh, I want to be like that. Because we remember those negative stories. We remember those times where, where things were done wrong. And sometimes it's hard to remember the, the times where things were done right. We're getting close here. If you'll flip over to 2 Samuel just the next book over, several pages to chapter 23. We kind of come to the conclusion of David's life. We didn't really talk about David's life much other than that short window of time where he was with Saul. And like I said, he made some mistakes along the way. Um, but we come to a section um, where these are thought to be the last rec- recorded words of David. What kind of words did David want to leave? As he left his life. What were his last remarks? What was it that, that waited on his spirit that he had to get off of his chest? Second Samuel chapter 23 verses 2 through 4 says this. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, With one, When one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, He is like the light of the morning at sunrise on a cloud this morning, like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on the cloud this morning. Seen from everywhere. Everybody knows it. Perhaps nobody has to talk about it because it's so evident. It's so apparent. So too is the call on our lives to lead righteous lives, to rule over people in righteousness and justice and fear of the Lord. What you are, you reproduce. The habits you have formed, the cycles you have created or fallen into, naturally reproduce in other people. They naturally reproduce in other people. So a couple questions for you as we, uh, as we wrap up here. Some things to think about, some things to consider. Some things to ask the Lord. What is it that God wants you to reproduce? What does God want you to reproduce? Or maybe a better question is, where does God want you to reproduce? Does he want to re- you to reproduce in your workplace? Does he want you to reproduce on a mission field? Does he want you to reproduce in the church? Where does God want you to reproduce? Who is he burdening you with to reproduce in? Who has God asked you to lead? I believe wholeheartedly that God's asked each one of us in this room to lead somebody. 
beyond the shadow of a doubt, I believe every single one in this room has been asked by God to lead somebody. There's somebody in your life God has asked you to lead. Maybe you're not aware of it. Maybe you don't want to own up to it. But God has asked you to lead somebody, to influence somebody, to love somebody, to care about somebody enough to get involved in their lives. Enough to jump into the mess. Maybe their life is a mess. They've just got so much going on. I don't even know where to begin to help them. Who's God asked you to reproduce in? And what are you doing about it? Are you like Samuel, who said yes, even though I don't know where to go, where to begin, or how this is going to unshake? Or are you like Saul, holding it all in, comfortable with what God has done for you, but you don't want anybody else to get what God has done in you? What you are, you reproduce. Who are you reproducing in? You pray with me. Dear God, I don't like when you give me words like this. I don't like when you challenge me this way. It's hard. It's difficult. And God, I am too busy to spend my time reproducing as somebody else. I've got a family. I've got a job, I've got school, I've got a million and two different things to do. I don't have time to invest in somebody else. But God, that is what you've asked me to do. And if I don't reproduce in somebody else, you're going to find somebody else to do it. And I'm going to miss out. And if I miss out and I miss out, then God, maybe I just start to die away. And then when I want to jump back in and I want to reproduce, all I can produce is dead stuff because I haven't been taken care of the whole time. God, help us to reproduce in other people. For those of us in this room who aren't sure who it is that we're supposed to be reproducing in, we're, we're not sure where to reproduce, what it looks like, open our eyes. Open our eyes to who it is we're supposed to be pouring into. And for those of us who know already who it is, give us boldness to do it with humility and with love and with grace. God, you've asked us. You've given us the privilege to do a huge thing, a mighty thing. And you've promised that you'll be with us through it. Help us to do that. Help us to do what you've asked us to do. And may the world be changed by the simple actions of simple people in a simple place because the almighty God is working through us. We'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord your God. Will you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And will you please love your neighbor as yourself? You're dismissed. We'll see you tonight at 5 for Encounter.